Explore the history, relationships, expertise, and data that go into ensuring Stein growers get maximum yield potential. This is the Stein Seedcast. Here's your host, David Thompson. Hello, and welcome to the Stein Seedcast. I'm your host, David Thompson, National Marketing and Sales Director for Stein Seed Company. We've got another great episode lined up with special guests, expert insights, and discussion on everything you need to know about maximizing yield potential. On today's episode, we welcome back to the show two very special guests, Tom Larson, our Director of Agronomy, and Tony Lenz, Technical Agronomist. Welcome back to the show, Tom and Tony. Thank you, David. Thanks, David. So, Tom and Tony have been on the podcast before, and now we've invited them back to discuss some of the lessons we learned from the 2022 growing season, and maybe a look ahead to the 2023 growing season. We look forward to exploring what growers need to think about as we head toward the planting season, and what's in store for our agronomy department in the year to come. So, let's get started. All right. Well, first, I know that both of you have been on the podcast before, but I always like to start with a little bit of intro. So, you know, give me give me a little bit of a brief bio, if you would, maybe starting with you, Tony. Okay. Well, I've been now with Stein for, I'm going to go into my 23rd growing season. I guess in, ag- in agronomy, we always like to talk in growing season. So yeah, 23 of these and originally started off in the uh, agronomy department and then went to a regional sales agronomist. And then came back to being what I guess I consider my love is agronomy side of it. So now solely working back on the agronomy. So after 23 years, getting to do a little bit of everything with Stein has been good. But I guess this is where I enjoy the most is walking fields all summer and looking at agronomic issues or anything in the field. And home for you is uh, up in Inwood, right? I live in uh, northwest corner of Iowa would be Inwood, Iowa. So yeah, you can't get much farther up there right (laughs) on the edge of Minnesota and South Dakota. Very good. Very good. And how about you, Tom? Yeah, so I've got uh, about 30 years of, of ag industry experience, and my, my experience encompasses everything from managing a research farm for a, uh, for a national company to, to working as a sales manager for some regional companies. And, and it, I guess if we want to talk in terms of growing seasons, I'm in my second full season with Stein. Okay, awesome. So, yeah, what we want to talk about today is a little bit about uh, 2022 and then maybe a look ahead, you know, getting the crystal ball out. But first, let's talk about the season that was, you know, uh, like every season, 2022 had its challenges, had its ups and downs. But I guess, you know, how would you define the big takeaways from the 2022 growing season? So I would say that that variable would be the the word for uh, for 2022. When you looked at uh, our footprint, which is across the United States, uh, we saw everything from extreme drought conditions to excess moisture in the uh, in the eastern Corn Belt, especially early on. So I guess from an agronomic standpoint, it gave us a great opportunity to evaluate our products, um, how they're going to perform under a wide array of, of growing conditions. I think along that lines, I guess a lot of times our growers want to look at just maybe sometimes a really small area that they live in. I think with the agronomy team, you know, if we can give them a bigger look at across the whole country, what we see, because you may have drought in one area or, you know, excessively wet in another area. But I would back what Tom's saying is, is it was very it was a variable year, 
but the drought, you know, and dry conditions are something that I think is going to be on growers' minds. And, you know, just kind of looking back at that is, is, is just kind of depend whether you've, you know, you had good water holding capacity in your soil, whether you got timely rains, or did you truly go dry in July and August, then it really hurt the yields. So it really is a regional thing, but yet I think we always like to, as agronomy team, bring it back to, you know, how did the whole country do? And I would say in general, our hybrids did very well across the across an interesting summer. Well, and that's a great point because so many times people like to, well, we all have a tendency to have a short memory. The first thing you do is you look at the, the most recent season you've been through, and then you look at what happened in your neck of the woods. And, and we talk a lot about widely adapted material, which means, you know, yeah, how it did it across the road from your place is important. But it's also how it did at all of the 20 or so locations all across the United States. They're in that same sort of, you know, latitude. And I think that's where your team as agronomy team members can help kind of weather that a little bit for the growers to say, hey, listen, this is the situation we saw locally, but this is a situation we saw more broadly. And, and I think that's one of the things that's important about the agronomy program is to be able to bring that forward. I was just thinking even just if we just pull Iowa where Tom and I both live, it was just an interesting, you're just in a state of Iowa where they're going to have, you know, near, they were right at record level on corn yields. And then you had some areas that were really dry in western Iowa that just really struggled on yields. So what a comparison just in one state, you know, going to the ICM conference in Ames. And they're talking about, you know, four years of below normal precip. But yet it's amazing that we're still talking about a couple years back to back of just high yields. So again, back to that is just it's amazing what if your soils can have good groundwater, high groundwater level, levels, you're fine. If you get there's parts of Iowa that got timely rains in August and they had record yields. So just in the state that we live, you could pull each state apart, but it was just interesting, even the state of Iowa, how you could have such diverse growing conditions. You know, that's one of the things I think as I talk to growers here this fall and early in the winter. The prevalent thought was, you know, kind of astonishment. I mean, again, when you look at the dry conditions that were pervasive across most of the corn growing area, and yet, you know, so many growers said, hey, you know, yields were way better than we expected them to be. Is that, I mean, does that speak to just genetic capacity? Well, I think no doubt that that over the last five, ten years, that uh, the breeding process has, has uh, developed these products that can produce amazing yields with uh, with with limited water. Um, I think it also goes out to a, a testament to the to the to the farmers where they are uh, managing each acre and managing it properly with the right fertility levels to to maximize that return. I always say that in in the absence of of an irrigation system, you know, control your controllables, you know, so fertility, uh, hybrid variety choices, you know, those are your controllables. Uh, the weather is an X factor that you can't control. So put those products out there that'll best perform uh, in your environment. And, and we're seeing the, the results of that. I, I, I can't remember a year in, in North Central Iowa, where I'm from, where 80s was an average on soybeans. And, and I, for, for bushels per acre, and I, I, I don't know where it came from, but there was a lot of outstanding uh, production. I think along that lines, I mean, I thought it was interesting, not to get too far ahead, but we did our flag study, and we had great emergence on corn. So I, I think sometimes we got to look at, we get tied up on 
trying to um, look not look back far enough. But, you know, I think if we start with a dry spring, it starts dry, you get that plant growing, get it out of the ground quickly, you've got it set for that. And I think sometimes we forget about them dry years are very nice to have in, in the spring. And then we did this flag study, and it was just amazing to see um, how our plants emerged in the first two days. You know, it was just something that I thought was really interesting to review the year, that if we get that up and going, get it in a good dry condition, and then get those timely rains. So I think that's, you know, something we can even expound on here as we're, we're discussing. Well, we all know the importance of, of, of even emergence and even, uh, even a three-day uh, delay in emergence between plants could result in a, in a barren plant. So to Tony's point, yeah, our flag emergence study really drove that message home to our customers and to our sales team about our performance of our hybrids and, and how they do emerge uh, in those colder environments and uniform and just get up and get going out of the ground. Yeah, and I know you guys were on the podcast a while back. We talked about that uh, flag emergence study, and I thought that was really in- interesting. The idea being, you know, let's see how many plants we get up and get going that early in, in the season. So one of the things you're saying, Tony, for 2022 was really getting the crop up and out of the ground, even emergence is is one of the first things to getting you on the path to success, right? Yeah, and I thought, and uh, we want to continue that process. I think it was just good for our agronomy staff. It was good for our salespeople just to see, I mean, you can actually put a quantitative number to it, right? You could actually see what did I get to come up on day one with pink flags? What did I get to come up with yellow flags the second day? Then you could actually put a number to it and you get to just see how you can, you can first off, you can rate your hybrids on which one comes up better than the next one. But then it also just tells you is, is um, the environment that I had that year, what did I, you know, how, how much, how early could you plant maybe even, or, or how much stress could you have on that plant early and feel comfortable that, that hybrid's going to come up. And again, how we know it now, it has to come up within those first couple of days. We can't have the fourth day blue flags, a lot of those, because then that just turns into a plant without an ear. And that's yield loss. So I think it, it, it taught us a lot. So on the list of, you know, the good things for 2022, you know, we talked about it being dry, but maybe maybe a dry spring is good from a timeliness standpoint, getting the crop in the ground, right? Speed of planting, getting that getting that crop going. And then, like you said, good even emergence is another thing that's uh, probably on the list of what went right uh, in, a, in a large share of, of the acres in 2022. What are, what are some of the things that maybe, uh, looking back, we c- could have gone better? So one of the topics that, that it will be affecting just about anybody listening to this uh, to this message is, is tar spot. So tar spot is something that we are still trying to understand and get a handle on. And unfortunately, it is expanding across the, uh, the, the corn producing region uh, in the United States. And it doesn't look like it's going to be slowing down anytime soon. So that's a, that's a big negative. And developing a management plan uh, is going to be critical to help in uh, offset what tar spot can do to your yields. Yeah, I think along that lines is, is we don't have the resistant hybrids yet. So, I mean, even as us being a breeding company, is that something that we're still evaluating hybrids, how they do? I think every company's battle on that. It doesn't matter which seed company you are, you still have to see this disease and then figure out how to, you know, adapt and find hybrids that will work on it. So, I think the agronomy team were really looking at that, even though it was a tough year with maybe some tar spot, it, it taught us a lot which ones work be- work well on it, which ones can tolerate it, if it can hold off long enough, and then maybe the fungicide applications, we can get those done accurately and be able to control it. So um, even though it can be a struggle, hopefully it's biding us some time 
to figure it out. But I think what we learned, too, of the tough part about that is even in a dry year, even in a dry conditions in some big areas, we still had tar spot. It may have come in late, wasn't a yield robber, but it only, you know, our group was talking about that is it only takes about seven hours of leaf wetness on that plant to get this tar spot started. So I think we're kind of pinpointing what down, what the conditions are for that to be there. Then from there is we just got to get these hybrids that are going to, are going to handle it well. Yeah. So tar spot made itself known. I, I guess in light of everything that went on in 2022, to me, it looks like you've got, in any given year, you've got, you know, weather is a factor. You've got moisture is a factor. And then you got fungus and diseases are a factor, right? Which one of those is this, was the biggest factor? I would say weather. I would say weather was uh, the great concern of the year, um, just because of the severity that we that we experienced, especially going west. And it would just be I'll tie onto that. Just how widespread anything is is it, it can be regional and it doesn't affect the whole, you know, the whole maybe output of yield. But I think this year in some areas it was enough that our growers really had to battle through it and figure out a way to you know, to get get yields. And there were some fields that were chopped in the middle of July that never even made it. So I think it, it can be sometimes a regional thing, which one's most important. But if we want to talk about big scale, the the drought, and, and I shouldn't call it just drought, just dry stress, you know, in, in some of those months. So as we take that information in and think about how we want to apply that to the coming season and 2023, how do we take those lessons? And, and what do you talk to growers about what do they need to be thinking about as they head toward uh, the 2023 planning season? I think if like anything is, is if they've got an area that maybe they're already starting off dry, we haven't got the moisture we need. I think like any grower, they're going to ask about input costs. You know, how much am I going to spend on a, on a given season if I don't know if I what kind of crop I'm going to get in the end, right? So I always think is, is you know, is there a way, I, I never want to look at it totally about how to cut cost, but how is it to be more efficient with the dollar you're using? So whether it be, I just, some examples I'm thinking of is maybe split applied nitrogen. How do we get that nitrogen to be efficient? Maybe put a little bit on the spring and we're coming back and uh, side dressing. Because we know in our hybrids is we've got hybrids that, you know, that they've got a long grain fill period. They need that nitrogen later in the season. And if it's really dry, is it able to use that up? So that would be one example of maybe split applying nitrogen. You know, how do we maybe look at a less traded hybrid in an area where we don't want to spend a lot of money on a hybrid uh, cost-wise? And we've got some excellent products in Stein as our, as our growers and dealers know that we can get by with a straight, even straight roundup or even conventional, but still have good agronomics there. So the dollar efficiencies there, you know, I think we've proved that some fungicides work, right? There's some really good fungicides. And so we figure out if we're talking about tar spot, we need to look at that fungicide, maybe keep that in there, or we have a good seed treatment up front. So again, everybody's a little different, but just making sure that we are getting that best money spent per acre. Right. And to tag off of that, Tony, I've heard some reports of, of farmers going back to more of a 50-50 crop rotation for corn and soybeans and going and looking at more of a, of a maintenance or a crop removal fertilizer application rather than in a, in a building format just due to the costs of fertilizer. And I would say, too, that looking at 23, locking in your inputs, because if anything, what we've learned the last few years is there can be products in tight supply and possessions always nine-tenths of the law. So making sure that you that you have those products um, either physically or at least financially captured to, to ensure that you'll have them for the growing season. Sure, absolutely. And then 
You know, it seems to me the difficult thing is weather is uh, obviously we don't control it, so you have to just plan for it. And you mentioned, Tom, about you know, maybe maintenance program rather than a building program from a fertility standpoint, for example. We talked about fungicides. You know, there are, I'm sure it's tempting at times to say, well, maybe I want to get by without that fungicide application. What I'm hearing you say is tar spot. <laughs> uh, it might be, might be the, the thing that would tell you to, not to go skimp on those things. Correct. And, and I, I would look at, uh, personally, I'd look at a, at a fungicide application as just part of your maintenance of, of raising a good crop. I wouldn't look at uh, the dollars and cents, but I would look at more of a, of a plant protection uh, approach because in the past there's been this love-hate relationship with fungicides. And I think what tar spot is doing is, is emphasizing the importance of, of maintaining that plant health. And, and when, when you talk to a, a farmer and they have yield goals that are above their, their county average, well, they're going to have to have healthy plants to get to those, get to those yield goals. So, so yeah, go, looking forward, it, it, to me, a fungicide is just part of, a, just part of your, your maintenance that you, that, to raise a good crop. I think to tie to that is is they're back to again our genetics. I think it's such a good combination. If we can add a fungicide, and we can look at maybe, you know, if we don't need all those traits, we've got an excellent shorter stature plant that has good ear placement, but yet has good stock quality, right? So I mean, you got a nice mix there. When we we don't talk enough about you know our even our steincorn about standability and just plant health. It's there that fungicide helps us, but you know again I just use that example as there's a lot of of growers that are using less traits, and we are still seeing excellent yields on those. Even, I would tell you, even some areas, in, especially in Iowa, being that's where we're mainly located here that we're working out of, is there's a lot of rootworm pressure. And again, I should say the whole country deals with spots of rootworm pressure, but we're seeing even our, our hybrids with less traits are still doing well with the application of a, of a um, you know, rootworm product-wise out there. So, you know, I, I like that, what we can do with our genetics and you know, maybe fine-tuning that. What about from a weed control perspective? What do growers need to be thinking about? Well, it, it's interesting on the enlist front, it seems that uh, the industry is is adopting to the enlist technology that we've been promoting now for, for a number of years and seeing the performance, especially against those hard control or as we quote-unquote call them, those resistant weeds. So, so making sure that you're identifying that weed spectrum that, that you're dealing with and, and having a, a chemical program that'll attack it and control those control those weeds. Uh, we've demonstrated in the past that if, if we're not diligent in this area, uh, it'll result in resistance and then we'll have to go down that path again in a very short period of time for something else to control those weeds. On the corn side, it's interesting, and Tony touched on it. There's uh, there's some really interesting uh, things happening, and with our short stature corn, I tell you what, I, I I can't I can't be more excited about about what those products offer us. And again, the industry is 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 playing catch up with with our products and w- with that technology. And you know, you mentioned short stature uh, corn. It, it's always good for us to to talk about that. That's something that course, has been in the forefront of our mind for a long, long time. As you're out talking to growers, has that conversation changed in the last couple of years? Because as everyone is talking about the, the idea of shorter corn being the new thing. I think, you know, we, we want to shorten up our plant and 
I think everybody got you know excited that we're really going to be a short plant, right? And the good thing is, is our company's been at this for now, well over 10 years now. And so what I'm excited about is we've seen the really, really short stuff, and now we've figured out how to fine-tune that, right? And you've got excellent ear placement. I, I always like to go back to wise, well, I mean, waist high. You know, if we can keep that ear at 40 inch off the ground, then we can we can work with a shorter plant, right? We can work with that, and but we're still packing the same amount of leaves above above the ear. And again, maybe that's common stuff that we we've been telling our growers they know that. But I, I, my point is, is we've we've worked with it for ten years, figured out how this works, and I think from here as we can fine tune it. I think we've kind of seen that shortest stuff that we're going to see. If we can see something, you know, I mean, I always hate to give a height wise to it, but again, if we can keep that ear placement around that forty inches. Keep that plant, you know, on rolling hills, we still have to be able to do that environment, right? So I, I think a lot of these other companies that want to look at this is I don't know if they've if they've truly, you know, understand what I always call it the real world, right? What what does the real world throw at you with some of that short stature corn? And I think we've done a good job of seeing that, getting through some of those headaches and and now we've got some products I think that can are well adapted to a wide range, I think, even of populations and in uh, soil environments or you know, I call it back the rolling type hills that we get into. Yeah, and Tony, to your point on that, and so so with our experience that we've had in this field, we're, we're learning and have learned how to handle and, and how these products will perform at their best level. And, you know, we talk about weather. We can't control the weather. Well, dry conditions seem like they bring on a, a stronger focus on reduced tillage. Well, one of the byproducts of reduced tillage is an increase in, in residue uh, of the plant material. And, and with these products that aren't producing as much plant material, it makes it a lot more manageable for the farmer to handle that residue, um, even in a corn soy or a corn on corn environment. And, and when we have a shorter plant, there's more energy going into that ear production and less energy going into just maintaining a, uh, a, a, bigger, a bigger stock, for example. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it's exciting that that there's a lot of conversation about it. It's uh, adding more voices to conversation. But like Tony said, you know, we've been at this a long time. You know, uh, frankly, probably evaluated thousands and thousands and thousands of lines that would probably be considered short stature. So, you know, when when we read the news and and folks will say, well, we're really excited. We have this one experimental line that we're going to be out testing, you know, next year. <laughs> it's a little like, hey, we've been there, done that, right? And and um, so it's it's fun to see growers, you know, uh, uh, engage in that conversation. And it's fun to see more, just more voices added to the conversation, I think. It almost sounds like old hat that we're talking about this, but I think it, it's it's really good timing, right? Because we're going to hear, growers are going to hear so much about that in 2023 from these other companies that just think they invented, reinvented the wheel. And, you know, and, and we're excited that maybe that voice is being helped push along, right? Not just one company do it. You're going to hear more companies talking about it. So I think that's good flattery that we should take, take advantage to go over this again, kind of go over some of the attributes that we offer and over 10 years of doing this. So, yeah. Well, and, and just like you mentioned, Tony, you know, as we've kept track of those plant heights over the years, we've heard Warren Stein talk about the fact that plant heights have gone down, 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 and we're actually seeing a, a, even a slight uptick. It's almost like we've kind of gone to the bottom and now we're kind of finding the equilibrium. So it just makes you feel like we've got that much more advantage. We've, we've just been at it so much longer. So really exciting for the 2023 season and forward to see how growers are going to adapt to that. 
speaking of that, talking about growers, you know, uh, as you talk to growers about their plans, how do you help them go about trying to develop their crop plan when there's so many variables, some of which we know they don't control? How do you go about counseling them on that? What I like about it, I always go at it this way over all these years is we are a seed company, right? And a lot of these other companies, you got to watch their angle, right? They may be a seed company, but they may be selling chemicals. They may be selling different things to put on your seed. And are they truly doing what's best for the grower or are they just trying to sell a product? That's kind of what I ask the grower saying is, we specialize in seed. That's what we do. We work on corn and soybeans. And we will try to give you a voice. I always say a little bit more about um, we'll step back, take a look at those products, and see if they make sense on your farm. But maybe it's almost like a third-party opinion on that. You know, originally I was not so excited about fungicides. Now we seem to see have fungicides that have three modes of action, and they seem to be a lot better than they were when they originally came out. So I even look at myself evolving. I was not excited about fungicide and corn. We got in dry years, and I would say no. And nowadays, we've been through a few dry years. We've seen what these three modes of action can do. There's some excellent products out there. So now I'm more in line to say, you need to look at that. And it may be even like a seed treatment on soybeans. We used to not think that you just needed to add that all the time. Now we start to have products that have Elevo, you know, these products that handle sudden death and different things. You know, now, hey, now you've got something else that maybe there's a value there. So I'm hoping our seed company can step back, help a grower to say, look at this. But again, I go back to that point is, is input costs. How can I help you to make the most of what you're going to spend? Because you, I know a grower only has so much, and you're going to have a lot of people coming at you from different angles to spend that. Hopefully we can do that as an agronomy group or anybody is to help you kind of weed through that and, and figure out what maybe makes sense. Yeah, and, and also you have to understand what's the level of risk that uh, that each farmer is willing to undertake or, or expose himself to. And uh, and personally, I don't like risk. So so I look at seed treatments as a, as a something that's going to help protect my yield in the in the presence of uh, of a pathogen, for example, that that can affect my yield. Other there's other farmers out there that uh, they're willing to accept a higher level of risk. And so so everybody's different. And to Tony's point, you have to make sure that the recommendations you're you're giving or suggestions are tailored to that individual, and it isn't just a rubber stamp. This is what this is what everybody needs to do because everybody's situation is different. So with the uh, you know la- last year, I know you guys had a lot of interesting projects going on <laughs> within the agronomy department. What do you have going on for 2023 that you're most excited about? Well, for 2023, the saying that I've been telling the team and to whoever will listen to me is the only thing we're changing is everything. So that's been my that's been my phrase. So the agronomy department is changing their focus just a little bit. And and as Stein, as the Stein breeding program continues to grow, the agronomy team has been asked to help be part of the uh, on the breeding side to be that last line of eyes to to make evaluations on products as we go forward, um, prior to having them commercialized that are available to the to the farmers to buy. And so Tony and the team will be spending a lot of time in plots that are specifically designed to evaluate these new products. Uh, We've been really excited. They've gone through our testing program, uh, thousands, tens of thousands, in some cases on soybeans, millions of replications. But we need to 
have uh, one more set of eyes on before we decide to, to, to launch these products. And so we're incredibly excited about that opportunity, especially after finding out that our breeding, the corn breeding program is, is, is growing at a factor greater than four times what we've been used to in the past. So we have to be ready to evaluate a lot of plant material and, and make sure that we're, we're understanding how these products work and where they work the best for our customers across the Corn Belt. So, the, yeah, so these plots are to be a complement, right, to the elite tests that we already do, which are highly replicated, multi-year trials, but they're, you know, small-scale plot work. And then you're taking it to the next level, taking that last uh, set of product right before introduction and trying to get a, you know, might say real-world evaluation in a, in, a, in a plot environment. Exactly. And in some cases, our, our strip trials will be placed right next to the elite trials, but, um, but they will always be in the proximity of. And, and what's something that's always drove me crazy in the past is if we test material and say this performs great, but we don't have any available for sale, well, that doesn't do anybody any good. So our focus is going to be on those larger quantity products that when we find those that we're really excited that can take the place of one of our already high yielding products that will have supply that we can sell. Along that same line, as I, I guess I look at agronomically, what can we offer to is can we go in and look, do a better job of getting disease ratings on products? We know he's, how many times have we mentioned tar spot already? If we can get enough of these plots to do our own evaluation of diseases, get good ratings to send back to Warren and, and be able to say, hey, you know, we feel very confident what we're putting on for a rating. So maybe that way we can look at the diseases. We can look at just any little thing our agronomy team can tear apart and see if we're, you know, if we happen to be missing something where agronomically, you know, we have to watch it, whether we can get some fungicide on some of these trials and see if one responds more than the other, you know. So a lot of, a lot of things we can maybe do um, to do some testing here. Well, and I'm really excited, David, about this opportunity as well, because even though we're a national company, I think we operate as a regional company where we can identify products that perform best in a specific region and, and make those products available for that region only and not across our entire footprint for that maturity zone. And, and that gives us tremendous flexibility to really pinpoint those products that perform best in, in each farmer's backyard and be successful. So what else do growers need to think about as they head into kind of the home stretch, getting ready to turn the wheels for the 2023 planting season? Well, I think any time is, is we give a lot of time for prep, right? There's a lot of times to maybe even uh, say, change your mind again, right? We have a long yeah. winter and we're kind of yeah. laughing about it. I still have up in my neck of the wood, deep snow yet. So the thought of spring is a long ways away. So there's a lot of chance for growers to whether you change your mind or just evaluate something new, I think like anything is you get your plan together and then you have to be versatile. You want to change. I, I'll use that example of a fungicide. I'll talk to growers in March trying to, I have to tell them whether or not to use fungicide. I don't think that's the time that you make that decision in March is you have a long growing season and you come up with an outline and from there you figure out and then you get into the season and you kind of see how it goes and then you figure out if you need that or not. I think like anything is, is be prepared but yet understand that it can change. So, and I think like anything happens that way. And I would think with us being a seed company is it's just really locking down placement. We've got hybrids. They go a lot of places, but I think sometimes guys think they're just going to plant them anywhere. I, we we want to get better at just 
with growers locking that down is this hybrid and this variety is going to be good on this soils that you have for your farm and that they feel comfortable when they plant it, that they, they're locked in and that they, they did the right thing. And so that should be our sales group's goals right now is to make sure that grower's got it placed correctly. Yeah, because you put the right product, but it's on the wrong acre. You're not going to get good from that. So when I look at 2023 uh, going into the spring, uh, my my word of wis- words of wisdom would be to everybody to slow down, slow down and do it right. We get one chance to do it right, and and don't be too hasty to make hybrid or varieties changes just because of of something that's preventing you from from getting to that field today or tomorrow. They've spent ten months making a, a decision and making a plan. And then in the 11th month, when they're going out there to, to go to the field, it seems like sometimes they throw everything out the window and just let emotions take over because the mentality of we have to get this done. I understand that it's, it's a timely thing, but but follow your plan and, and, and try your best to keep emotion out of it, and, and you'll be successful. Speaking about that plan, you know, what do you advise growers to do if they – you know, if they're in the midst of kind of finalizing that plan, but they just have a few pieces of puzzle yet to put together. I mean, how, who do they reach out to? What should they be doing there? Well, I would think your first call would be to your, your salesman, your seed salesman to say, okay, I've got this farm or I've got those acres. I'm not sure what to do. Talk to me about the products that you have available and, and how they'd perform in this environment. And, and really really kind of finalize all of their their cropping plans now. We talk about yeah, there's snow on the ground today, but we're going to we're 90 days away from being in the field if we if we look at the calendar today. And so it's going to come fast. It comes faster every year, it seems like. And so having having everything in place so then you can enjoy that springtime when you're out there and you're putting that crop in and not being stressed out and 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 doing those last minute runs to try and find a few more bags of seed. Have have that have, have your shed full and be ready when when the opportunity comes. Last call, crystal ball projections. Nothing's wrong. No wrong answers. What do you, what do you got? Oh man, I want the perfect. But you know, if you only get so many years, right? We talk about that. You only get one time to plant this crop, right? Right, and you got one chance at it. And some of these growers have been through it so many years. Is you just want that dream year, don't you? You want to plant into perfect, you know, dry, mellow soil, and you get it planted, and Mother Nature just <laughs> allows the rains to come at times. So. I always look at that way in agriculture is is that's why you do what you do every year is that I'm gonna I'm gonna hit the home run and I don't know why we wouldn't look any other differently right as a agronomist or as a seed company is we're gonna have a great year we're gonna have the highest yields we're gonna have the best products placed right and that's my my dream every spring that it's gonna be the year right that yep. everybody is happy right <laughs> well we're all eternal optimists yep. in that case I, yep. I don't know of a, I don't know of a farmer or an agronomist or anybody associated with agriculture that uh, that says, boy, I just, you know, I, we're just going to have another bad year here. And <laughs> we're just going to try and get through it. I think everybody, there's a level of optimism that, that occurs and, and you feel that momentum building and building. And, and again, they, they just, it's, we just can't wait. It's, it's our Christmas, right? We can't wait to get out there. And, and for the agronomy team, you know, it's, it's, it's the, 
it's the culmination of all the hard work of product selection and what do we need to test. And finally, we're in the field and we get to go out and, and, and spend our time, what we really enjoy doing, and that's being out in the field and, and looking at these products and finding those products that really do perform at their optimum. Yeah, I, I, I'm with Tony. I think every year is going to be um, the year. And, uh, and, and I, I think to a certain extent, every year is that year in some area, you know, I guess, are you prepared to have that year though, is, is the big question. Yep. That, that, that's a great point. And to the point made earlier, you know, in some parts of our area, planting is 90 days away. In some parts of our area, planting <laughs> is a few weeks away. So, sure. uh, it, either way, it'll be here before we know it. So, Having the plan and then working the plan is probably key to uh, uh, ensuring your success in 2023. So, well, with that, uh, appreciate you guys coming on and, and talking about what we learned from 2022 and how we would apply it to 2023. Uh, Tony, Tom, glad to have you back on the show. It's great to be here. Always fun. Yeah, thanks, David. That's our time for today. I want to thank our guests and listeners for joining us on another episode of the Stein Seedcast. We'll be back again soon with more expert interviews and insights about all things Stein. And to never miss an episode, subscribe to the Stein Seedcast wherever podcasts are found. Subscribe to the Stein Seedcast wherever podcasts are found. To learn more about Stein and its elite corn and soybean genetics, visit steinseed.com. Stein has yield. Stein has yield.